I am delighted to introduce someone that I've actually known for, I think it's close to three decades now. Um, we, and we'll talk a little bit more about it, but it started out, he was our pastor of a church where we attended. And uh, we'll get in a little bit more into detail on that, but his name is Dr. Emerson Egrich. Emerson, welcome to a little podcast. Thank you, Randy. I've been looking forward to it. Appreciate it. Uh, well, so appreciate you. Let me tell you a little bit more about him. Dr. Emerson Egerich is an internationally known public speaker on the topic of male-female relationships. Based on over three decades of counseling, as well as scientific and biblical research, he and his wife, Sarah, developed the Love and Respect Conference, which they present to live audiences around the country, and I think they also do it in other ways as well, uh, via technology. But this dynamic and life-changing conference is impacting the world, literally, resulting in the healing and restoration of countless marital relationships. Dr. Egrich has authored several books, including the national bestseller, Love and Respect. We'll be talking about that which, by the way, is a Platinum and Book of the Year award winner, selling now probably even more than this, but over 2.1 million copies. That is incredible. He's the founder and president of Love and Respect Ministries, and his wife, Sarah, serves as vice president of that ministry. They've been married since 1973, live in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and they have three adult kids. So again, welcome. Thank Emerson. you, sir. So thank glad you, thank to be you. So we, you know, let's go back in time. I mean, I'm sitting there in this place called East Lansing Trinity Church. Wasn't that the name of it? Yes. And uh, you were the pastor, and we so appreciate it. you. Had such a great ministry. You, you, you had a good way about you. You communicated a lot. My wife and I really enjoyed being in your church. And uh, you know, we've had a lot of interactions. But uh, God has led you to uh, to you know leave the full time preaching ministry to be in this. Love and Respect uh, Ministries. When did, did that happen? About 30 years ago, approximately, right? Around that... 1999, yeah. There you go. There you go. And uh, he's really blessed your ministry. Why don't you just kind of summarize what, what the heart of your ministry is, if you would, Emerson? Well, uh, as you referenced, being that pastor of Trinity Church, I was permitted to study the Bible 30 hours a week, which was sure. a great privilege and honor for almost 20 years doing that from 1980 to right around 1999. Yeah. And I discovered a Bible verse. I'd read it many times, but hadn't paid close attention to it. Ephesians 5.33. And that is relevant because that's the summary statement to what most consider the greatest treatise in the New Testament on marriage. And that verse says this, a husband must love his wife and a wife must respect her husband. And uh, we all need love and respect equally, but I uh, noticed here uh, a pink and blue difference, we might say. And I, I thought, why am I commanded to love Sarah? And why is Sarah commanded to respect me? And there certainly wasn't any debate about husbands loving their wives. That wasn't something that anyone said, oh, I question that. In fact, that right. was the thing that was required across the board. That was the, yes. the idea. But I noted that in 1998, 1999, when I really focused on that, that uh, the idea of respecting a man wasn't perceived as um, appropriate if he didn't deserve it, if he hadn't earned it. Mm. And um, in fact, there was this feeling that he's not superior to me. I'm not inferior to him. You know, I'm I'm not going to be treated like a doormat. Right. I'm certainly not going to subject myself to emotional abuse. I'm not going to bow down and worship him. 
I'm not going to, you know, set the feminist uh, movement back 50 years. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not going to be hypocritical because I don't feel respect. So I'm not going to show respect when I don't feel it. Yeah. But, you know, other than these things, Dr. Emerson, I'm really open to hearing what you have to say about this. And so I knew I was up against what I call that mantra. And women were not mean-spirited in any of those comments. They just mm -hmm. had fears that sure. this was going to subject them to something that they didn't think was appropriate. Yeah. So as I got into this, though, I knew that every man served and, and uh, was motivated to serve and even die for issues of honor. And that we are highly motivated by honor. We don't see it as narcissistic. We don't process it that way. In fact, one man can motivate another man on the basis of honor and being an honorable man to literally give his life in the next yes. half hour. Yes. And so we don't even come close to filtering it as egotistical necessarily. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the idea was not foreign to men. But at that point in time, all the books were written more to the slant of loving your wife. And uh, so that's when I began to kind of unpack, well, how do I help women get excited about this and understand this and apply this? And if they did, might their husbands actually soften and even move toward them and even be motivated and energized and influenced to love them in even um, more meaningful ways? And yeah. of course, uh, the subsequent research has evidenced that that, in fact, has been the result on many fronts. And that's something uh, that's that's powerful. It is kind of interesting how in Scripture, and I point this out when I speak on this subject and, and others, but every time God talks, especially in the New Testament, about relationships between those in authority, not that they're better than, but those in authority over the others, whether it's children and parents, slaves and masters, or wives and husbands, again, they're all equal in God's eyes as far as value. They always start with the person under authority. Now, that's whether it's Paul or Peter. They both start with the, the woman in the rela marriage relationship. And the example I use is, is maybe you've heard this before, but like the, the three-year-old girl that dad is trying to, to, to obey, and she's standing up in a place that she should be sitting down. He says, sit down, daughter. She says, no. Sit down, daughter. No, I'm not going to sit down. Well, he disciplines her, and she sits down, and she goes like this. She says, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm still standing up on the inside. You know what I'm saying? But mm -hmm. The person under authority has the ability to kill the relationship. Um, and it doesn't come natural. And you point that out, and I think, well, uh, that does not come natural for a wife to respect her husband because she sees her husband's not perfect, far from it. Nor does it really come natural for a husband to love his wife. And yet that is what she wants. She wants to be so honored, loved by him, so special. And and when I would counsel, I was a you know pastor myself for a few years in, in the Grand Rapids area. And I would do some weddings, some premarital stuff. And I'd say, it sounds like there's a design error here. I mean, God can make it easy, <laughs> but he makes it hard. And part of the reason I think he makes it hard is that I need to go to God to get the power to love my wife. And she needs to go to God, get the power in the power of Christ to respect me. And when that happens, it's a miracle. And I'm so thankful for my dear wife. She go, she she has done that. We've been married now 54 years. And she we're best friends because of what you're talking about and for the power of the Holy Spirit through us to do these, humanly speaking, impossible things. What do you think of that?
Well, I think there is a fear that's normal in all of us, the fear that if I do my part in this, my spouse is not going to reciprocate. Mm. And there is an anxiety that I'm going to go more than halfway and they're not going to respond to me. And so we tend to use methods sure. that guard our own insecurities Yes, and with the hope that our spouse is going to decode that the reason I'm acting and reacting this way is to motivate them to either love me or respect me. And, sure. and uh, that's a normal uh, yes. perspective and even desire, but it, it it proves ineffective. And one of the points that we make is that not just the wife, uh, the idea that you're talking about submitting, uh, although I believe that in that context where Paul begins with the wife to hupatasso, to submit, to yes. come under that authority, um, you would think that in that text where he says, wives submit, and then he says, husbands love, right? Yes. So that's the the outline. Point one, yes. wives submit, where you start with the wife, and then point two, husbands love. Yeah. Yeah. But then the summary says, husbands yeah. must love their wives. Well, that's you right. go back there. There it is. And, right. says, and the wives must respect. That's right. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Why didn't he say submit? Yeah. And one of the things that has been very encouraging mm. to many women is that in Paul's mind, the first and foremost definition of submit is to submit to your husband's need to feel respected for who he is yes. apart from his performance. Yeah. It's giving him the gift of a respectful demeanor yes. as you address those things that might be upsetting you. Yes. And when women have heard that, it's liberated them because it is in keeping with their loving nature. They want to give a gift. You're not just uh, letting go of your desires. You're actually giving him a gift as you address issues. Submission doesn't mean absolute silence. That's no, no, not no. what Paul has not in mind. Not at all. But not the idea is that yep. you're submitting to a need that your husband has that maybe you don't have, just like he begins that passage with uh, be subject to one another in yes. the fear or reverence of Christ. So that right. I submit to Sarah's need to feel loved for who she is. She submits to mm. my need to feel respected for who I am. That's and well once put. two people understand that, now yes. they're giving the other person a gift that they may not deserve. But here's the deal. If there's any degree of goodwill, we don't have to fear that if we consistently do this over a period of time, 80, 20 kind of thing, most yeah. cases our spouse is going to soften and respond to us. Any of us are going to yeah. have a bad hair day. But if we don't, <laughs> if we don't do this, we get on what I call the crazy cycle. Yeah, I, I like I like your description of the crazy cycle. Go ahead and describe it. Yeah, well, and as I thought about what happens if I don't love Sarah based on that Ephesians 5.33 passage, sure. and then I had this illuminating moment, you know what? I have a hunch she's going to probably react to me in ways that feel disrespectful to me. Sure. And what happens when I feel disrespected? You know, I have a hunch that I'm going to react in yeah. ways that feel unloving to Sarah. Now, neither one of us are justified for that reaction. Yeah. And in fact, we really are not intending to react in that unloving or disrespectful way. We are defensively reacting, yeah. right? Yeah. Because we feel unloved and disrespected. Sure, and this sure. is why it's difficult to discern this sometimes. But what happens is this kicks into full gear, the crazy cycle. Without love, she reacts without yeah. respect. Without respect, he reacts without mm -hmm. love. And it starts spinning. Right. And I often ask couples, have you had a conflict with your spouse when suddenly the issue didn't seem to be the issue and you see their spirit deflate? Mm -hmm. If you do, you're probably on the crazy cycle. Oh, sure. And the issue that triggered this is no longer the root issue. It's real, but it's not the root issue. The root issue now is, if you're discussing money and you say, why'd you spend that $500, woman? Mm -hmm. That money management issue is a, is a real issue. Right. But I came across so angrily and harsh mm -hmm. and, and just uh, yes. you know paternalistic that feels unloving to her. And that's what deflates her. 
And then this just keeps the crazy cycle spinning because then she's going to look at me with that look of disgust and I'm going to feel dishonored Mm -hmm. for trying to do the honorable thing. And you talk about two goodwill people who eventually are just completely mutually misunderstanding each other. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah, well, it makes a lot of sense. So I'm sure that in the last decades that you've been, you know, going down this road that you've seen many, many marriages, hopefully many marriages recovered in in ways when they were really in the crazy cycle and you've helped them. Um, have you seen that happen? I mean, personally and, and in, in other ways or not? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, focus on the family that sponsored us as their conference for four years. So Dr. Dobson would promote it over the radio. We were yes. averaging almost 2000 in a Friday night, Saturday uh, set of conferences. We did about 10 of those a year, usually in the springtime, in the fall, though, because you don't do it over Christmas. You don't sure. do it over Easter. You don't sure. do it New Year's. So you had these about four or five weeks, weekends in the spring, four yeah. or five weekends in the fall. And um, then Focus decided to spend a huge amount of money to determine the long-term impact of love and respect. And uh, and we also, in our ministry, Dr. Ken Canfield, good friend, we surveyed 26,000 uh, people who attended our conference. So the long-term impact was absolutely incredible. And uh, that's wonderful. Particularly when we talk about doing what we do unto Christ. Yeah. Um, you know, we had different scales like marital satisfaction scale. You yeah. know, after the conference, people were very happy, right? But then let's say she finds out he's committing adultery. Right. Well, that satisfaction scale would drop, not because the love and respect conference was ineffective, but because he had betrayed her. Yes. But we also had a scale called the spiritual scale, which I talk about at the end of the conference, doing what we do as to the Lord. This is the motif that Paul uses in Ephesians, Colossians, Mm -hmm. wives do what you do as to the Lord and husbands love as Christ would. And so we go from the horizontal to the vertical. And I talk about people... You, you basically love your wife because you're loving Jesus Christ beyond her shoulder. You mm-hmm. you respect your husband because just beyond the shoulder of your husband is Jesus Christ, who you're reverencing. Mm-hmm. It, it, it spills out. It's not because they deserve love or respect. Yes. It's because we are a loving, respectful person because of our relationship Amen. with Christ. Amen. It just comes out because this is who we are. It's not who they fail to be. And as we espouse that, the idea that if we do this unto Christ, we can do marriage God's way, even if our spouse doesn't respond to us, mm-hmm. and that one day we're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's it. Then the question was, was this plain in Peoria? Were people at our conferences getting this? And that spiritual scale, it went up after the conference. And then even long term, that person who says, uh, uh, you know, marital satisfaction dropped, the spiritual scale stayed up because they got it. They were now continuing to do mm-hmm. what they did unto Christ even though their marriage was, you know, spiraling down. And uh, that was greatly encouraging. But back to your original thing, helping people get off the crazy cycle. Absolutely. Once people even understand Mm -hmm. the, 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 we give them vocabulary, like the crazy cycle, like we've done right here. I've had men come up to me and say, in three minutes, you explain 30 years of my marriage. And once a person understands this, now you give them a framework, you give them vocabulary, like I'm not trying to dish you right now. She says to him, I'm not trying to dishonor you. I'm upset. Help me say this in a way that you don't feel that I'm just trying to, you know, diss you right now when mm-hmm. I have a need that you, you have a strength that I need and I'm coming to you because I need something. I'm feeling a little insecure and I need reassurance. That's good. And That's I said, good. if you verbalize it that way, a lot of guys will actually start grinning when you begin to introduce that 
early on in the relationship, particularly after the conference, because you're speaking his mother tongue. Same thing. If you say to your wife, I don't know how to do this loving thing. You know, my old man, you know, my issues. I want to be a loving man. You I, you know, I'd die for you if you don't kill me first. But how do I say this lovingly? You, you backed into the garage now for the third time. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I like uh, your, your spiritual point. It, it reminds me of a sermon that, that I have on my little uh, a recorder that I play from Tim Keller, and we miss dear Tim Keller, but yeah, he just spoke about how our ultimate marriage is 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 to the Lord Himself, and that that by thinking by if 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 I have my wife to be the God to me, if she is my ultimate need meter rather than God, he said it's going to be like driving a heavy truck over a bridge that won't hold the weight. It's not going to work, and vice versa. You know, we want that spouse to meet my ultimate need. God has to meet that ultimate need in our lives. So every successful marriage has to have three of us, you know, the husband, the wife, and God, you know, and and so that we we are empowered by him and we're living for him, we're respecting him, we're loving him. Um, and and it splashes on our on our spouse as as it were, is kind of the picture I get from what you described. But uh so it's just important that we, we keep in balance. You know, God has to be there. If he's not there, good luck. You know, having a, I don't know how anybody can stay married and close without God. Really. Do you? Well, I, it's possible. Obviously, there's emotional intelligence. People know how to do life interpersonally. We're creating the image of God and we can yeah. tap into okay. a basic common sense. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, there are people, but to your point, I mean, even those individuals would say there are moments where I don't have the wisdom or even the inner desire to respond yeah. to this right now. Yeah. And so the question on the table is, what do they do at those yeah. moments? I think in our case, it's a great comfort for us to turn to Christ, yeah. cast our burdens up on him. He says, yeah. you know, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And those yeah. promises and those invitations uh, are so wonderful to us yeah. and the peace that passes all understanding. Even as a husband and wife, many times Sarah and I would just pray, Lord, we don't know what to do here. Give us wisdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the the joy of uh, of the Christian life. I mean, it's it's immeasurable at so many levels. But yeah, I mean, I think back to your reference to Tim Keller. If if we're looking to our spouse to meet all of our needs and that my self-image rests on their image of me, then then once they begin to fail to be to me what I need them yeah. to be, then I'm in a very vulnerable spot. That's true. And uh, then we start negatively reacting and we end up sabotaging the very longings of our heart. And so one of the things that we've been helping people do is understand as a Christ follower, ultimately we do marriage God's way. Mm -hmm. And that should be our first and foremost desire, though all of us fail. We don't even think about the Lord at times when we're annoyed with each other. We don't want to think about it. But in the core, the the believers uh, get this. But then also recognizing that a lot of times, as I see, you know, I, I say often, you know, when Sarah and I first met and I didn't say to her when I decided, you know, to propose to her, hey, Sarah, you know, you hate me and I hate you. So let's get married. <laughs> you know, I said that doesn't happen with anybody. No. I, so I'm how sure. do people go from yeah. we love each other to the point that now we want a divorce? Yeah. And sometimes, yeah, there's betrayal, there's adultery and so on. So sure. But usually that doesn't even happen. Right. I believe this most often we get derailed because of honest misunderstandings. Hmm. It's not ill will. It's just honest misunderstandings because even though we're equal, we're not the same. There is a pink and blue view. The research at the University of Washington, they studied 2,000 couples for 20 years, 
And they realized that during conflict, at a certain point, 85% of those during a marital conflict uh, will withdraw and stonewall. That's the male, 85%. That's statistically significant. Wow. He just he just goes quiet, yep, right? Yep. I, they I, also I monitored that. his heart. It's 99 beats per minute. That's yeah. warrior mode. So he has to withdraw to calm down. Mm. A wife looks like she's out of control emotionally, but her heartbeats are normal. She yeah. has a clear aim. She wants to connect here. She's critical. She's complaining, but all for the idea that he would say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And she'll say, well, I'm sorry, too. I shouldn't have said that. Yep. And they'll reconcile. She has a clear idea of why she's moving toward him aggressively. Right. So they realize she complains and criticizes. He withdraws and stonewalls. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that she, as a woman, cannot imagine yeah. withdrawing and stonewalling during marital conflict. Right. So from right. her standpoint, she can't understand that. Yeah. She yep. doesn't see that as honorable. She yep. sees that as an act of hostility, yep. which was the descriptor they use. Yep. And when women criticize and complain, yep. she's doing it because she cares. Yep. But every husband hears that as contempt, yep. right? That's right. So That's right. one of the points I make is during that moment, is he really demonstrating an act of hostility or an act of honor? Mm -hmm. Is is she demonstrating an act of care or an act of contempt? Mm -hmm. Well, from her pink perspective, he's hostile. Right. And she's caring. Right, right. From his blue perspective, he's honorable and she's contemptuous. Yeah, yeah. And this is an honest misunderstanding. Yeah, yeah. And it's true. all it's there because if we lock into the idea that because we're equal, therefore we're the same, then she's going to feel that she's right yeah. and she's normal yeah. and he's wrong yeah. and he's abnormal That's and right. vice versa. So what happens is if you carry on in a relationship that way for six or seven years after you get married, mm -hmm. you get derailed at a certain point because you start thinking, this isn't working. Yeah. I made a mistake. Yep. I didn't sign up for this. Yep. Yep. And the answer isn't that the other person becomes like me. Mm -hmm. The answer is I begin to decode yeah. what's really going on here yep. and how do we then navigate this moving yep. forward? Yep. What do you do when he withdraws and, and yeah. stonewalls? What do you do when she's critical and complaining? That's good. That's you good. don't dismiss the other person as abnormal and as right. having issues and saying, your mother told me not to marry yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Instead, we begin to get a, a little knowledge and a few little skills, and we can get back on the rails. That's good. Well, I got to move this thing into where culture is going. Um and I'm sure you run into this because of you know what you talk about. I mean, you talk about the difference between male and female. And culture, as you well know, is just totally confused increasingly, secular culture is, about gender identities. That gender is fluid, you know, we're a little bit this, and I can feel female today, or you know what I'm saying. How are you handling that? You you have to have some pushback because of of, of, of the, the things that you talk about and how you talk about it. Well, so I have not had that much. I haven't had oh, perspective. Really? Oh, that. I mean, I'm sure they're critical. They're critical people out there. But I, yeah. I I always preface, look, I grew up in a family where my mom and dad did not get along. My dad attempted to strangle my mother to death. I was about two and a half and I witnessed that. Wow. I wet the bed until I was 11. I was sent to military school when I was 13. I was there for five years from 13 to 18 in Missouri Military Academy. We were not a Christian family. I came to Christ at age 16 at Military Academy through a Billy Graham film. My wow. parents all became Christians. My mom and dad, when I was a freshman at Wheaton, so did my older sister and brother-in-law. Hmm. But I grew up in a situation. My dad had committed adultery. So I, I spoke at Liberty University to 12,000 students about the wounded healer and that uh, these wounds are deep and they are in me. 
And yes. my mission has been to serve people like my mom and dad. Okay. Even I spoke out in California a couple of weeks ago, and I prayed on the way over to the church. Lord, I'm sure there are people like my mom and dad there. Mm-hmm. I yep. pray that you would help me serve them so that their children don't go through what I went through. Wow, and I that's said, powerful. My, my niche is helping people like my mom and dad. Uh-uh. And if the shoe fits, wear it. If it doesn't, I'm not here to argue I have my beliefs. I believe what Jesus Christ said. Have you yes. not read he who made them from the beginning, made them male and female? Yes. I'm a pastor teacher talking to Christ followers, and that's what I believe. And okay. if Love you want to eavesdrop on what I'm saying here, I'm actually preaching to the choir because they've been off tune. If you come in, uh, I am preaching the choir. That's right. But you know the church is filled with hypocrites, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to help them be less hypocritical. But there's where I've landed. And this is what I'm all about. So like we're doing stuff right now on Instagram. And uh, uh, the other day we put something out, got 3 million views, like 80,000 shares. You can't pay money to get that to happen. That'd be $15,000 for some of that to pay. But we're addressing these male and female pink and blue issues. And I'm overall just saying, look, if the shoe doesn't fit, you want me to try to force it on? You know, I'm not not gonna do that. But if you want to Uh, at least consider... If you're in a marriage like my mom and dad, if if I could serve you, if I could help you, please consider, please, please, mm, please, because your good. children that's are going to be the recipients of this, and maybe they won't wet the bed until oh, I love back. it. Oh, that is so. I didn't know your story. That is incredible, Emerson. That is amazing. Anything you want to add before we close? No, no. I mean that uh, uh, is my story, and I'm sticking with it. But yeah, I okay. think. If people I think want to know more about and get, get more connected to your yes. ministry and learn more besides your book, and let me just quickly put a screen a picture of your book up here. Here's your book. It's a great one. It's a bestseller. Love and respect. Look at the subtitles, The Love She Most Desires and the Respect He Desperately Needs. And you can get it in lots of different ways, but... Uh, so that's that's one way. But how else can people get to get to yes. hear our website you and so on? Yeah, our website is loveandrespect.com, all spelled out L-O-V-E-A-N-D-R-E-S-P-E-C-T.com. <laughs> and uh, we have there a 15-day plan that's free. I've had about 65,000 go through this 15-day plan. Wonderful. And uh, that's free. That would give them, I think, an introduction into the love and respect message. So please- it. Please go to loveandrespect.com. We welcome you. That's great. So do you still like what you're doing? Love it. I'm more excited now than ever. And actually, we're revamping our whole platform, our whole thing. And I'm focusing on marriage and parenting. I wrote a book on parenting. And I've got my PhD in in, uh, family studies, did my dissertation on effective fathering. So we have three areas, uh, marriage, uh, parenting, and then I pastored for all those years. Mm-hmm. And the, you referenced Tim Keller, you know, he and I would have kindred spirit there. Sure. I have all these things about the Christian life that have been very meaningful to me. Just what does it mean to trust Christ? What does it mean to do this or that in Christ? And and uh, so we are uh, creating that third pillar on our platform, and hopefully that'll be a, oh, a blessing great. to people who are interested. Well, Emerson, uh, now that I've heard your background, I'm just So I've always been proud of you, but now I'm especially proud of you to take the grace and to continue to give out the truth, you and your dear wife, Sarah. And uh, so God richly bless you, brother. So thank you so much for joining us today. Why don't you close us in prayer, would you please? Yes. Father, we thank you for Randy. We thank you for all the things that he's done. 
years at MIT and the intellect that you've given him, the judgeship that he fulfilled, the pastoral role, the pursuit of revival, and his ongoing intercession and appeal to you. We pray that you'd continue to bless him, Marcia, their ministry together and their family and all the people that they are uh, seeking to serve. May you continue to bear much fruit through him. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. God richly bless you, Emerson. Love to Sarah. Okay. Blessing. Thanks for joining us. For more information, go to grandawakening.org. That's grandawakening.org.